0: through the faithful giving of his people at the same rate of giving which has taken place since June of 06, then all of the additional funding required for the building will be there within 24 months. So this is quite remarkable. Charlie, did I get that right? You were at the deacon's meeting Uh, Charlie was uh, sharing, and this is a good point um, that Brother John was indicating. Once we get the project going, uh, it will employ hundreds and hundreds of workers um, who, in this kind of rough day, are sorely in need of that uh, work. So that's a good a good thing that will happen. That's right. <laughs> Say John stimulus package. That's really good. <laughs> really good. Oh, brother. Well, let's move on quickly. Quickly. Let's move on. Hurry, hurry. Turn up the volume. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. So it's just really wonderful, quite exciting. And the Lord's hand is in the direction and the pastor shared yesterday at the meeting, a number of emails with regard to the cross. And I remember one the deacon shared. He in he's been at the church for 26 years, and he said in all his time he's not seen anything, uh, bear as much fruit, fruitful conversation in interest, as the cross. In his 26 years of experience here, Chuck, I think you had your hand. Yes, sir. It is true. There'll be no Bible study uh, uh, next week. Uh, just the two services, nine thirty and eleven. Uh, so no Bible study next week, and there. And then the following week, Brother Chuck will uh, be teaching. So this gives him so much time to study. I think we ought to expect something good for a change, don't you? Yes, I have missed you, Chuck, but even when you're not here, I say um, arrogant and sarcastic things. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, wonderful, wonderful times. Yes, sir. Oh, three services? We got to read the bulletin. Chuck says two services. I thought the, is it three? Oh, it says in the bulletin? Okay. All right. Thank you for sharing. Uh, well, just, you know, uh, whenever you feel like coming. Uh, but All right, Joe. <laughs> okay, so we're all, we don't know. Just, you know. Now, tomorrow night, I do know about this. Tomorrow night at 6.30 is a wonderful meeting in the hall, and it's for people who've joined with us over the last several months and who missed out on the wonderful impetus to the Living Proof Project given by our pastor several months ago when we had a series of meetings all over town in different homes. And so we want to help those people to get on board and Join in the enthusiasm. So that's tomorrow night. Now, if you are a regular member, and we're here even when the Living Proof Project was inaugurated, I'm told you, too, can be invited to the meeting if you want a refresher. Or if maybe you missed attending any one of those meetings, you were on vacation or something like that, uh, I was told that you can come, and you don't even have to indicate in advance that you're coming. We're going to have a light refreshment. There will be plenty for all. So that's tomorrow night at 6.30 in the hall. Lots of good, exciting things. A church always needs mountains to climb, uh, particularly mountains that we cannot, in our own human efforts, climb. They have to be goals and objectives, good godly ones, that require God's supply. So it's, uh, I think yesterday the guys shared such good insights. The uh, guys said, we have done so many irrational things from the world's point of view over the years, Uh, and they've come to fruition, and therefore we have no choice but to say, to God be the glory. And so, too, uh, the cross. You might say uh, when the idea was announced, an irrational idea, but to God be the glory. So many wonderful things happen. There are people there every day who come to the cross to pray and to seek help. Uh, The building, uh, the land, remember uh, when we acquired this land, we were given this land, oh my heavens, not 25 acres, but it, it was doubled because of the pastor's relationship with the owner who's now deceased. I mean, just stop. This building is irrational. Nobody does something like this in today's day and age, but we believe the Lord's hand is in it, and we're just expectant of seeing it come to fruition. So see, a church needs these mountains to climb that cannot be attributed to, his own, to its own wit and wisdom. And the reason why that kind of stuff is good is it keeps us from fighting with one another. I mean, we're too tired climbing these mountains. You have no energy to be criticizing one another. So you've got to be kept busy. All right, all right. So we're in Psalm 25. Did you know that? I got it right. Psalm 25. Hey, take a look at it. There are 22 verses. David's praying. Would you uh, share with the class as you look through Psalm 25, just as you see these things, what did David ask God for in no particular order? Just go, You can raise your hand if you'd like and so we don't have uh, chaos in here. What do you see him petitioning God for? What's he asking for? Bob? Show me, your ways. Show me your ways. That's one of the things he says. Absolutely. Guide me. Yes? Do not remember my sins and the sins of my youth. How about that one? Forget, what'd you go? Forget all the bad stuff I done did. Don't remember the sins of my youth. Good. What else? Yes, ma'am. Don't let my enemies win. Don't let them triumph over me. Yes, that's good. Yes. Remember, O Lord, your great mercy and love, for they are from old. Oh, that's good. Remember your mercy and love. Don't forget that. That's good. Mike? Uh, Yes God blesses those who worship him Yes Yes Dwayne He prayed for guidance did he not He prayed for guidance Yes (laughs) Yes Jesse Several times Jesse said he says to God Don't let me be ashamed That's right he does yes He asked God to, for, for integrity and righteousness to preserve him. Ah, let God's integrity and righteousness preserve him or come his way. That's good. That is very good. Yes. <laughs> to remember the covenant, the terms of the covenant that God had promised. Don't forget that. That's good. Yes, Tom. He prayed at the end, redeem Israel. Doesn't he say that? Yes, that's good. Yes. Show him the way to good life. Robert says, show me the way to make good choices in life. Very good. That's very good. Yes. To guard his life. Protect me, David says. Charlie? Yes. So, as is typical of Brother Charles, um, he just answers the question he wants, um, whether it has anything to do with the class or not. And so that was very good. Thank you. Feel free to join with us sometime. Yes, Brother Chuck. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. Don't let me be ashamed. And uh, Bob noticed that, too, several times. He prayed or Jesse noticed that. uh, Don't let me be ashamed. Yes, yes, yes. Good. Well, I think you got Yes, sir. Yeah, that's what he prayed, that the relationship be intact. Oh, that's good. Folks, he asks for nothing, does he, that that you and I aren't interested in. These are things we have probably, maybe not in these words, but in our own ways, we probably have petitioned God for the same thing. You know why? Who else you could ask? Think about it. It's not that profound, it's rather a simple but obvious truth. God is the one who cares most about our needs, God is the one who is most capable of meeting them. It's logical, therefore that we utter our petitions to him. And that's what David does throughout these 22 verses. In fact, he says in verse 1, To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. That's a deliberate act of the wheel. That's a decision. He had options, lots of sources of help. He could have, I don't know, sent an email to Dr. Phil of his day or something like that or... Dr. Joyce Brothers or Ann Landers, I don't know what, he'd decide, no, I'm going to put all my eggs in one basket, and it's in the basket of sheer and utter dependence on God as my primary source of help. To you, I lift up my soul. He is staking out his ground. He's saying, I'm going to trust in God alone. I do not have plan B. There are no other options. Why not? Only God cares the way God cares. Only God is capable the way God is capable. And so based on God's motive and all sufficiency, based upon David's connection to this God, he said, to you I lift up my soul. And we find out the specifics with which he lifted up his soul to God. Now, uh, let me mention to you, I said David does this because we know it's a psalm of David. How do we know that? Because it says so right up there. <laughs> a psalm of David. Uh, you know, this is called, uh, this is one of the, there's about nine of these in the collection of 150 psalms that are called acrostic Or alphabetic psalms, meaning each of the verses begins with a letter in the Hebrew alphabet, starting with the first, going down. So verse 1 would start, if it was our alphabet, with letter A and verse 2 with letter B. In Hebrew, it's Aleph and then Bet and then Gimel and all the way down. There's one or two exceptions, but generally it follows uh, the pattern of the Hebrew alphabet, Do you have any idea why that might be the case? There's about nine or ten of these such psalms. Have any idea why it was designed this way? Yes, Bob? That is exactly right. It's to aid memory. to aid memory. Remember, this is before printing press. (laughs) Um, uh, Truth in print was rare. Only certain people had access to written anything. Um, No computers, no palm pilots, no nothing. They couldn't all sit around with a copy of the inspired text on their laps, as we so casually are able to do here. And so memorizing the word was so very, very important if it was to be made available. So young children uh, from an early age were taught to memorize massive volumes of Scripture. Scripture. And so there were memory aids included, one of which was this alphabetical arrangement. So you can see a young child may be in a class, and maybe there's a teacher who has a copy of the Psalms and is trying to impart them, and the kids are memorizing them so that, you know, I have hidden thy word on my heart. It's the lost, unfortunately, dying art of Scripture memory. Memory. We don't do it quite so much anymore. We do it in our Awana program with the kids. But it's so very, very valuable that the word can be readily available. And so uh, the teacher might have uh, said to the first student, can you give us verse 1? And the student is having a hard time. And she says, remember, it starts with Aleph, Aleph, oh. And that would have helped the kid maybe to memorize the text. So that's what you have here, it's an acrostic or alphabetic psalm. It's interesting. So David says, I'm putting all my dependence on you. And after he says that, I think he gets a little nervous. <laughs> he doesn't have, pardon the expression, he doesn't have an ace in the hole. He doesn't have a backup plan. He put all his eggs in one basket. But whoa, what if his trust in God doesn't work out? What what, what if God lets him down? What if he's disappointed? And so that's what you get in verse 2. Oh, my God, And you I trust. Do not let me be ashamed. Don't let my enemies exult over me. Look, he publicly declared his sheer and utter dependence on God and God alone. People knew about it. What if God didn't come through? Well, then those onlookers would say, look at David, your trust was misplaced. What a waste of time. You are ashamed and humiliated. And that's what's behind the word ashamed, disappointed, let down by God. He said, I am putting all my dependence on you. (gasps) What if you don't come through? What if you disappoint me? He actually entertained the possibility. So do you. So and I. Remember, this is in prayer. And so this is what happens next in verse 3. Indeed, none of those who wait for you will be ashamed. Well, who told him that? He told himself that. (laughs) Now, here's what happens when you pray. Perhaps you've had this experience. Do you know the purpose of prayer is not to move God? He is already moved to hear, to answer, to supply, to care. (laughs) We don't pray to twist God's arm to beg him to care. Boy, that would be begging God to be who he is. You don't have to beg God to be who he is. We can just thank God for who he is. He is caring. He is compassionate. He does stand ready to help. So it's not so much that prayer moves God. Prayer moves us. How? In our minds, in our thinking. David begins to pray. He makes this rather blanket statement. I'm lifting up my soul to thee and nobody else. And then he gets a little nervous about that total investment you know he doesn't have a diversified investment plan he's putting all of his money in one particular account (gasps) what if the account doesn't pay a dividend is what he's saying (gasps) what if you let me down but then he hears himself and he moves his his own thinking he says wait just a second you're not going to let anybody who trusts in you down So now he moves past, even from his own personal situation, I'm dependent on you. What if you disappoint me, too? (gasps) Disappoint me? You're not going to disappoint anybody who trusts in you. Prayer does that to us, and that's part of the reason why God invites us to participate in it. In the course of listening to his own thinking, he's challenging it, and he's moving in his own mind. He's saying, no way. God's not going to let me down. But, but there is a group of people who will be ashamed. Look, those who deal treacherously without cause, they're the ones who are going to be disappointed. There are a whole bunch of folk who were anti-God and thus anti-David. And David said, hey, 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 if anyone's going to be humiliated, it won't be those who trust in God. It'll be those who distrust God and hence attack God's people. Treacherous folk. So that's what he says over there. Essentially, he says, come on, God's going to not only meet my needs, he's going to meet the needs of everybody who trusts in him. Why? Because he is trustworthy. He can be trusted. So, at the end of it all, when we have finished running this race, Jesse, did I miss something? Go ahead, brother. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I do, and uh, I do have an insight, Jesse, and it's the correct answer, and it will s- I'm telling you, buddy, it will set you free. Okay, so here's Jesse's question, and that's really good. He's made a good observation. See how it says, those who deal treacherously without cause, that's ca- does that imply you can deal treacherously with cause? I think that's what, uh, what you're saying, brother. Uh, no, it doesn't. This is just to... Um, dramatize. This is just to heighten the sense of treachery. Treacherous without cause. Not to imply that you can deal treacherously and have justification. It's just to amplify the wrongness of what they're doing. It's treacherous. There is no cause for it. So it, it it's not to be juxtaposed with the possibility that there can be legitimate treacherousness. Anyway, thanks for for uh, noticing that, Jesse, that's good. That's really good. I uh, pretty much made that up as we go along. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, so there you have it. But I think it's accurate, uh, actually. <laughs> so here's the deal: when we have finished the course, run the race with endurance, and evaluate the uh, course <laughs> of our lives, everybody. Here's what's going to happen. People, each of us, will either be ashamed or joyous about what we have put our confidence in, in life. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. We will either be ashamed or we will rejoice over where we have put our trust in life. Every one of us. Those are the only two options. Everyone is leaning on something, confident in something, trusting something or someone. In the end will be, it'll just happen spontaneously. we reflect on it all. And you only have two options. We're either going to say, yay! I really put my trust in the right place or, oh no, my place was mistrust. And as a result we'll either rejoice or we'll be entirely ashamed. David says nobody who puts their trust in God will ever be ashamed as they look back on it. So my fellow Christ followers, we should put all of our eggs in one basket. <laughs> we should trust him more and more. We should not look high and low for something, someone, as an alternative to him, to be confident in. We're finding out. We can't put our confidence in the almighty dollar. Amen. <laughs> you, you, you can't take it with you. We can't put our confidence in the, uh, any of our systems, political or otherwise. Look, I'm a military guy. I mean no disrespect, but we cannot put our confidence in our military. There are different foes today that we're just not able to confront uh, with sheer and utter raw military power. It's just different. It's even hard to find the enemy. They hide That's right. today. It's just a little different. Uh, and I think God is allowing all this because he loves us and doesn't want us to put our trust where we shouldn't. He, you know, he's really, really bringing, think about it, surely uh the american populace to a point where we're going to be making some choices about who we trust who do you trust what do you trust this is the most exciting day to be alive because god is lovingly stripping us of confidence in all things including the economy we're rich we're wealthy We have monetary security. Not so much anymore. Isn't this great? What has been an idol has been shown to be a false idol. We cannot depend on a stock portfolio. Ah! It is just... Diminishing in front of our very eyes, isn't that great? <laughs> we are be giving. We're all giving an opportunity to be verse one kind of people. To Thee, I lift up my soul. You see, who else? What else? So, isn't that a good opportunity? It's a loving God who loves. For God so loved the world. He loves the people whom he has created too much not to give each an opportunity to see how uh, foolish it is to be dependent on anyone or anything. It doesn't mean we don't show respect for the systems of government and all the rest that God has put in place. I'm not saying that. But the respect is different than than dependence and trust. <laughs> we, we're verse one people. To thee I lift up. <gasps> what if I'm ashamed? No, no, no. We might be ashamed <laughs> at our, what's happening with our retirement funds <laughs> and with certain legislation that's being passed in our day. I don't know. We might be ashamed about uh, different things like this. But David said, nobody who trusts in thee will be let down. Isn't that good? But God is taking a very complicated day and really simplifying it for us. He is saying, look to me, lift up your soul to me. In the end, you won't be ashamed. You'll have cause for rejoicing. Oh, I've put my investment where I'm really, really getting the best return. uh, Where, what does it say? Moth and rust cannot destroy. There's no, you know, trust in God is not subject to inflation, recession, depression. (laughs) It's, it's, ah." So more than ever, we're being as Christ followers, we're being given an incentive uh, to um, shed dependence on any competing sources of help and be, verse 1 people, to thee and thee alone I lift up my soul. Well, if this is the case, we're going to pray what David did. Verse 4, make me know your ways, teach me your paths. Some who would claim Jesus as Savior would deny Jesus as guide in life. Help me. Yeah, how does it work, Tom? But I'm telling you, this is, how could we name him as Savior and then not say, what would Jesus do? WWJD. How could we go through life laden with decisions and choices, which we are confronted with every day, and not say, oh, God, show me your ways. What would you have me do? Remember, we were talking the other day, that guy, that couple's in this very thing. They want to know what God would have them do. Surely he's going to show them. How could he be your savior and you not petition him for guidance in life? And yet there are those who call themselves Christ ones who seem to be making their own decisions without making recourse to himself. One of the things David praises: show me what to do. Teach me your paths. You know why you have to do that? it's because God's ways are really different than ours and we don't know what he wants us to do just from our own thinking. You talk about God's ways being different than what we think is rational. This one always gets me. He says, if someone gives you a hard time, if someone treats you unfairly and unjustly, if someone persecutes you, if someone actually is your adversary in life, forgive that one. Well, i got to tell you something. I didn't get that from my own thinking. I'll tell you what I got from my own thinking. If someone gives you a hard time, go to war against that person. Do everything you could to win over that person. Exact the pound of flesh if someone has treated you unfairly. Do everything you could to put that person down. Target that person. Diminish that person in the eyes of others. Tell people about that person. Don't look at that person. Uh, Take every opportunity you can to get an advantage over that person. And seek revenge. Revenge. No one taught me that. It just came. (laughs) Part of the package. I just got it. I got like the PhD in revenge. So do you. Didn't have to be taught it. I got it. But the forgiveness thing. Whoa! Where in the world did that come from? Well, I'll tell you where it came from. Up above. Yes, sir. A hurting, per, a wounded person doesn't forgive the wounder. Hurting people want to hurt those who hurt them. That's makes the world go round. So God's way Don't you see how different it is Than our inherent innate way of thinking And that's why David That's why we have to say Oh God I'm putting all my trust in you You've got to show me how to live Because I don't live your way Here's another one This one really is a mind blower God says hey uh, If you want to receive You should give I feel like saying Come again Say what? See, to me, uh, the approach is hoard. (laughs) Hoard your stuff. Yeah, there are needy people, but get it before they get it. (laughs) Store up your stuff. You need your storehouse of stuff because there's all kinds of contingencies that can come your way. And those people aren't going to help you. They're hoarding their own stuff. (laughs) Now, if you can hoard stuff better than they do, more power to you. And then God says, why give and it will be given to you. That's right. Press down, pouring over without measure. What? What? So I didn't you. I wasn't born with give. I was born with get. So were you. We're consumers. We're not givers by nature. Giving is one of the clearest indications of being captivated by Christ. Giving. To be a giver means, whoa, you're really born again. This, that's a sign of rebirth. Because inherently, we're takers, not givers. We're hoarders, not givers. So that's nothing that just challenged my thing. So can you see why David says, I know you're my savior, but now I need your mind on things because my mind is different. I need you to transform my mind. So guidance is very, very important. So he says, verse 5, lead me in your truth. Teach me. You're the God of my salvation. I wait for you all day long. Remember, O Lord. Come on. Like God forgets. He's omniscient. What has God forgotten? Come on. So when David is doing this, remember, he's a human. He's doing the best he can. All he has is human vocabulary. So he's saying... As if God has to be reminded, okay, remember, O oh Lord, look, you're compassionate and you don't forget. Don't forget what? Don't forget to be who you are? How does God forget to be compassionate and loving since that's part and parcel of who he is? God doesn't do loving things apart from whom he is. God is loving and therefore loving things emanate from his inherent nature. We don't have to say, God, would you be good to me? He would say, how could I not? I'm good. (laughs) I don't just do good things for you on a good day. If you're good to me, since I are good, good stuff comes naturally. So it's not like he has to be reminded, but David, come on. He's a kid like we are when we pray to the Father. So anyway, David wants God to remember certain things, but he wants God to forget other things. Interesting. God wants to remember his, uh, David wants God to remember his compassion and loving kindness, but look, he wants him not to remember, verse 7, the sins of his youth. It's interesting. Hey, God, I want you to think about this and don't think about that. (laughs) Interesting. God, I want you to remember how good you are and you're loving and all that other kind of stuff. I want you to remember who you are, but I don't want you to forget who I am. That's essentially what he's saying. Don't remember my stuff. Don't remember my sin. By the way, when the Bible says that God has, um, doesn't remember our sins, yeah, it doesn't actually mean, Charlie, that he has forgotten. What does it mean then? That means he puts up a barrier for you. Yeah. God forget anything. That's a good point. He won't use it against... Yes, look, the Bible says he's cast all our sins behind our back, right? <laughs> uh, behind his back. First of all, God doesn't have a back. <laughs> so you understand this is language accommodated to our own limited minds. And for our sins to be cast behind his back doesn't mean he doesn't know it's back there. That's right. It just means he's not going to go back there and get and hold it up... to cause a separation between us anymore. So it's okay for David to express his heart, but I think a loving father is going, David, 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 like I'm going to forget to love you. David, David, David. Then I'm going to persist in remembering your sin, like I haven't forgiven it once and for all. Okay, David, if it makes you feel good, if it gets it off your chest, have at it. And that's okay. That's what prayer is all about. Express yourself to the Father. So anyway, that's what he does. Verse 8. Remember, he's moving in his own thinking and prayer. Look, good and upright is the Lord. Now, David, which is it? Are you doubtful about whether he's loving and compassionate or are you sure that he's good and upright? Well, it's both. He vacillates just like you and I do. Uh, There are moments in the day when we have Confidence in God, and there are other moments when we wonder about whether God is going to take care of us. It's the way it is. So by the time he gets through saying what he did in verse 6 and 7, he remembers uh, that God is the way he is, the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, he instructs sinners in the way. David says, sure, you're going to take care of me and guide me. I mean, you instruct anybody who calls upon you, even sinners. It doesn't mean that sin qualifies us for God's guidance. It means that being a sinner doesn't disqualify us from God's guidance. So David is saying, you know, I have a few doubts about whether you're going to care for me. Hang on just a second. You take care of people who who are sinners even and who turn in repentance to you. Surely you'll take care of me. Verse 9, he leads the, now this one is a rough one. Is the word humble or humble? Let's vote. How many people think the word is humble? Would you raise your hand? Okay, thank you. How many people think the word is humble? Wait, you wait. Wow, a church split. <laughs> over the mysterious missing letter H. Okay, I don't know how you pronounce the thing here. I used to think it was humble, but then I moved to Texas, and you people, I don't know. What's the deal is you leave out the age? It's humble. Okay, fine. He leads the <laughs> humble. Hey, how about the Hebrew pronunciation? He leads the <laughs> humble <laughs> in justice. Hey, look at folks. That tells me one of the prerequisites for receiving guidance from God is to be willing to submit to it. I mean, if you're prideful and arrogant, why would God give you guidance? Why would God take the lead if he knows you're not going to follow? You see? So one of the prerequisites for having God lead in life is to um, follow. (laughs) It's humility. You mean the guy who says, hey, I am my own person. I'm the master of my own destiny. I'm going to do my own thing. Why wouldn't God reveal his ways to that person? God's smarter than we are. Why would God cast pearls before swine? Pardon the... uh, expression but i think it actually fits and it simply means that god's revelation his guidance his truth is so precious and valuable he knows whether will re- a person will receive it or not i mean it's if we're calling out, oh god what would you have me do but we're, we haven't we're not even following him with regard to his already revealed will why would he do more so if you want more of god's mind if you want more of not understanding of the bible <clears throat> be open to what it has to say uh, um, access to God's truth in the Scripture is not a function of knowing Greek and Hebrew, going to seminary, or having a high IQ. Access to the truth in the Scripture is one's willingness to obey it. It's interesting how God has done it that way. Jesus said in John seven seventeen, if any man is willing to do his will, he shall know of the teaching, whether it is of God or whether I speak for myself. He said that to religious leaders in his day. Hey, 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 said he. If anyone really wants to know the will of the Father, he'll know of it for sure. So that's the key for unlocking the scriptures, our willingness to obey what they say. So humility is a prerequisite for receiving God's guidance. Verse 10, all the paths of the Lord are loving kindness and truth to those who keep his covenant. Look. I was thinking about what it means to keep God's covenant. You don't have to buy this, but I think this is actually accurate. To keep God's covenant doesn't mean to obey the law. We already ruled that out in verse eight. He's willing to guide even sinners. Those are law who've confessed. So what does it mean to keep his covenant? I think it means to connect with God on his terms. Well, what are what are the terms of the covenant? Well, I'll tell you what it is. One. Step is to confess sin. You don't say, I made a mistake. You didn't make a mistake. You chose to sin. First is to confess sin. That's one of the terms of the covenant. That's how you connect with God. Confession. Second, repentance. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm turning from it to you. That's what repentance is. Change in direction. So the first step in connecting with God, confession. The second, repentance. The third, Receive forgiveness. That's a term of the covenant. I acknowledge sin. I turn from sin. I turn to Savior. Boom. Those are the terms of the covenant. So if I want to connect with God, I have to be willing to be graced by God. I have to be willing to receive His grace, His mercy. If I'm not willing to receive his grace and mercy, I'm not keeping the covenant. The covenant is the means by which I connect with God. If I think I'm connecting with God by my good behavior, I'm not keeping the covenant. God never said you will connect with me by good behavior. He said the law points out your bad behavior. It's not the means by which you connect with me. The law is good. You're not. The law just showed you you're not. Here's the term of the covenant, therefore. Confess your non-goodness, turn from it to me, and accept my grace and mercy. That's how you keep the covenant. David is saying, therefore, one prerequisite for being led by God in life is humility, and the second is to be part of the covenant. How could you receive the guidance of God if you're a partner? From the God who guides. So that's what it means, it seems to me, to keep his covenant. Verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my iniquity. It's great. Now this is really a mouthful. I got lots of sin, says he. He makes no bones about it. Makes no excuses. He doesn't say everyone's doing it. It wasn't so bad. I came from a dysfunctional family. No. He's saying, my sin is great. He doesn't say, here's the deal, God. If you forgive what I've done, I'll try to do better tomorrow. He doesn't say that. He says, would you forgive my iniquity, which is great, for your name's sake. What does that mean? It means in light of your declared character. God declared himself to be merciful and gracious and loving and compassionate and forgiving. David said, in light of that declaration of your character, forgive me. That's the term of the covenant. You don't ask God to forgive you because you're going to try harder, because you're sorry. That may be true, but that's not the basis upon which God forgives. He forgives on the basis of the fact that he is forgiving. It's on that basis that David made his appeal for forgiveness. God, I just want you to respond to me in light of who you declare yourself to be. If you do not, if you do not forgive my sin, and since you have declared yourself to be willing to do so, then people will cast aspersions on your name. Because they will say, though you declared yourself to be compassionate and merciful, you're not. With regard to David... So David said, I do not in any way want to detract from who you are. Therefore, since you declare yourself to be forgiving, forgive my sins. So everyone will say you are exactly who you declare yourself to be. Can you see the, can you see the, that's the, just as I am without one plea. Here's the plea. Not that our sin isn't sin, we made a mistake, the plea is, God, you said you're forgiving. I have confessed and repented my sin so as to be consistent with who you declare yourself to be. I know I can count on your forgiveness. The number one basis for assurance of salvation is that God says, I'm a savior, I'm your savior. That's the number one basis for assurance of salvation that God is going to be who his name declares him to be. He is the Savior. The Savior has come to save. If I've accepted what the Savior has done, I am saved. Not because of anything I have done, but because saving is what he came to do. He is the Savior. So can you see, whenever you're making an appeal to God, make sure it's on the basis of who he is. Don't try to parade your promises and merits and virtues before him. You will fall flat. I got a speeding ticket one time many, many years ago. It's been a long time. (laughs) Cleveland, Texas, you know, like they got nothing else to do. So I'm coming back from who knows where. It's late at night. I'm following a truck, kind of in a state of altered consciousness. You know, it's nighttime. I'm following this truck. I don't know what's going on. A guy pulls me over. A cop pulls me over. (laughs) He said, did you know you were speeding? I said, no, sir, I did not. Uh, Undoubtedly, you think I was. (laughs) I'm not arguing. I probably was. But so was the guy in front of me, I told him. The truck, why didn't you get him? I'm just following him. Just keeping up with him. that didn't get his attention at all. Hey, Chuck, here's a fishing analogy. Guy told me in the last class. Um, when you fish, do you catch all the fish? And uh, the cop says, neither do I. Some of them get away <laughs> even when I'm fishing for his speeder. So here's the deal. David doesn't say everyone's doing it. Why'd you get me? Can you see? He's not doing the stuff people do today. You know what he's saying? My sin is great. I just, I can't minimize it. <sighs> but for your name's sake, forgive it all. You see it? So that you may be found to be true to who you are. Forgive it all. That's always the basis of our petition. <laughs> so here's the deal. We're not going to finish. I'm just going to, sum, I'll summarize it. I'll summarize the rest because I belabored the point here. Um, so David is praying and... Um, Hang on just a second Uh, Verse 15 Look what he says I just need a few more minutes And we'll make it Um, God is going to pluck my feet out of the net You know what that implies It implies there's a net Into which you could get Your feet stuck Yeah but wait a second I thought David was God's kid Yeah but even God's kids Can get stuck in the net of life So let me tell you something Uh, Even if you're a Christ follower, you're probably going to have troubles. (laughs) That's just the way it is. And the issue is not whether we have troubles, we do. The issue is when we get stuck in the net of troubles, what do we do? David said, verse 15, my eyes are continually toward the Lord. So the troubles could actually be in some sense a welcomed friend. If we take them to be a signal, reminding us, to continually set our focus on the God who can deliver us from trouble. You look to the trouble, you look to the weakness, and then you focus on God who's not troubled, who's not caught in the net, who's not weak, and to whom you are connected. And you say, just as David did, Lord, deliver me from the net. And so the troubles actually can accentuate your dependence on God. and I think it's one of the reasons why he allows them to come. Now, sometimes we allow the troubles to take us away from God. You know, we're looking for help in all the wrong places. (gasps) So that would be be a mistake. David said, no, no, I'm going to set my focus continually on you. Look, folks, what's today's date? March, right? March 22nd, 2009. Here, so let me make a statement that not one person here could argue with. Up until March 22nd, 2009, God has delivered you from absolutely everything you have faced in life. You can't argue with me. You're here. Your very presence here proves that God has delivered you from absolutely every trouble that has come your way thus far. Now, what's going to happen on March 23rd, 2009? The same. How do I know that? Because God's going to be true to his name. He's a deliverer. Yeah, but what if you drift? What if you become, I don't know what. There's nothing to do with you. It has to do with God (laughs) being a deliverer, don't you see? So every financial thing, every medical thing, every family problem, every vocational issue, every interpersonal thing, every who knows what, that perhaps at times you felt overwhelmed by, you're going to have to say, hey, hey, hey. My feet were stuck in the net a million times and God has plucked me out of absolutely everything. Here I am, March 22nd, 2009. However old you are, however many days you've lived on life, you're going to have to say, plenty of nets, plenty of times I've been stuck and every single time God has delivered me. Is he going to abandon me tomorrow? It just doesn't make sense. No, he's going to be true to himself, you see. Well, what are some of the troubles we can run into? That's what David talks about. Verse 16, I'm lonely and afflicted. What? You mean even a God follower could be lonely and afflicted? Hello, yeah. Unless you're into the prosperity gospel deal, which somehow gives you immunity from life. I mean, but if you're like in life, yeah, you can experience these things. He talks about distresses in verse 17, affliction, trouble, all the rest. He got enemies. He says, well, A lot of people hate me. That's what it says in verse 19. I mean, all he says at the end is just deliver me. Don't let me be ashamed. Don't let me be disappointed. Be disappointed. Why? Because I'm making you my refuge. Okay, then one last thing. Verse 22. Tom pointed this out earlier. He closes by one final petition, redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. To me, that looks like such a weird deal to close with. What's happening? David, you've been uh, focused on your own stuff and you've been making your appeal to God. Now you're praying for others. Why? Something interesting happens. When you let troubles draw you to God in prayer, you not only find personal relief, but you're reminded that the troubles are probably experienced by others too. You probably have experienced nothing that somebody else hasn't experienced and maybe is exactly at the same time. It might be a marital challenge. It might be a rebellious teenager. It might be a, I mean, I don't know what. So David is getting some relief in pouring out his heart before God and now he's able to kind of get out of himself and enlarge his petition to others. He's saying, God, you're delivering me. Hey, deliver Israel too while you're at it. He's saying, God, you redeemed me. Why don't you redeem all your, all your people from all of, their tr- all of their troubles? It's kind of like, oh my goodness, God, you are the comprehensive solution to everything that ails us. Deliver us from all our trouble. You're the comprehensive solution to the political situation, to the economic situation, to the who knows what. You could drive yourself nuts by analyzing what's going on too much. God just sums it up. Take care of all your people. Take care of all their problems. Deliver them all from everything. Take care of every. You're taking care of me. There are others like me. Deliver them too. So, The next time you get your feet stuck in the net of life's troubles, which is going to be uh, inevitable, let it do two things. (laughs) Remind you that you're connected to God and he's going to deliver you. He hasn't brought you this far to abandon you. Second, pray for somebody else. (laughs) Perhaps similarly afflicted. Pray for somebody else. it will get you outside of yourself. And as long as you have God's attention, you might as well invoke His help on behalf of many more people than just yourself. Sometimes, I don't even know where to start praying. everything is so crazy. I just love I just love verse twenty. Oh God, take care of us with regard to all our problems. Boom, that's a good one to pray. I'm lifting up my soul to thee, take care of everything. Isn't that good? You've just prayed, all you take care of everything now. let's watch TV It's a great day. It's a great day to find God closer, more available, more trustworthy than ever before. It's a great day to do that kind of stuff so that in the final day we look back and we say, oh, my confidence in God was not misplaced. The only thing I regret is that I should have trusted him more. Yeah, Yeah, it wouldn't be good if we didn't have to say, oh, I should have trusted you more. Let's try doing it now. Let's try to be verse one people. To thee I lift up my soul. Lord Jesus, thank you for your accessibility. We are in trouble, no question about it. And we've caused it. But you're the Savior, the deliverer from it. We're connected to you on your terms. You took the initiative. You extended yourself downward to us so that we could be lifted upward from the throes of life. Thank you for bringing us thus far as a clear indication and evidence of the fact you're gonna bring us all the way home and through. Thank you for using troubles for good in our lives. It makes us sympathetic with regard to others who are struggling. Shows us how dependable you are. Oh God, we're not gonna be disappointed by you, though we surely will be disappointed by confidence placed elsewhere. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for not remembering our sin. <laughs> oh no, God, we don't have to remind you to be true to yourself. Instead, we should just praise you for being so astoundingly compassionate and loving and forgiving and able to see us through until the day when we see you face to face. We look forward to it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, folks. See you next time. Not next week, though. Reunion services.